Well, last Sunday, we uh, began our series of messages for several weeks now leading up to Easter based on the book of James in the New Testament, <clears throat> and we've entitled this series Survivor 2015. Now, last Sunday, we looked at the book of James and uh, this little book in the New Testament that is so powerful. Uh, now, we agreed that even though we're not quite sure who wrote the book of James, um, we agreed that uh, for our purposes, we would assume that uh, James was the younger brother of Jesus and that he came to know and understand his brother as the Savior, as an adult, uh, that he wrote the book of James somewhere between 55 and 60 A.D., and that James was martyred in 62 A.D. So those are some of our assumptions about the author of the book. The situation in which uh, James wrote the book was... Um, tremendously uh, a, a, a time of persecution. Uh, Nero, who uh, served uh, as emperor of Rome from AD 54 to 68, was in high fashion and his goal was to eliminate Christianity. One of his stated goals was to eliminate Christianity. He did his part. Uh, he had what was called Nero's Circus, where it was a coliseum where Christians were killed initially by the dozens and then by the hundreds and at the end of his reign by the thousands. And they were set upon by wild animals and when there were other Christians to be martyred uh, and there was losing light, they would literally put some of the Christians on poles, dip them in oil and set them aflame so that the rest could see the other Christians being martyred. This was the situation in life into which James was writing. There was a boycott on Christians for jobs, for other things. They had a very difficult time making a living, and everything around them seemed to be wrong. Everything around them seemed to be set against them. And to this context, James wrote the words that we looked at last week, that you can count it joy. <laughs> you can count it joy to go through and experience these testings. And we discovered last week that a testing was literally a trial that had a purpose or a goal on the other side of it. And so last week we looked at three key words in the text, the first chapter of James. And the first word was uh, a word that we're all familiar with, that's consider. And the idea was that we are to evaluate or consider what our response is to testings and trials. You all have them. And we talked about last week that every one of you will face testings and trials. And those testings and trials come basically from three different sources. One, they come because we sin and we put ourselves in bad situations. Another reason that we face testings and trials may have nothing to do with us, but it may have to do with somebody else that sins. They drink too much, get in a car, and run into your car. And the third area that's probably the most relevant is that we just live in a broken, sinful world. And because we do, there are going to be broken, sinful things happening all around us. We're going to bump into them. God's never promised to deliver us from tribulations. He's promised to deliver us in spite of tribulations. And he's promised that he will be with us through those tribulations. So we're supposed to consider how our attitude changes towards testings. In fact, we're supposed to really be filled with joy, not because of the situation, but because we know God is standing on the other side of it, right? So that was consider. The other word we looked at was know. We can know and be assured that God is at work in every one of our testings. 
we can know and be assured that even what we see, God is working behind us to do extraordinary things that will change uh, our situation for the good. And we use the expression from Romans 8, 28, and also what we call the 50-20 principle, Genesis 50-20, where Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. And you can always say when you understand and you know that God is at work, that what man has intended for bad, even what I've intended for bad, if I'm the one that's caused the sin, right? What I intended for bad or man intended for sin, God says, I will make something good come out of it. He said, you can know that. You can know that. You can believe that. You can count on that. You can hold on to that. And then the last word we looked at was ask. If you don't understand why you're going through a testing, if you don't understand why you're going through a trial, you can ask God. And God, who gives to all men and women liberally, wants to give you wisdom, and you can ask for that wisdom. This is what we talked about last week. And then we ended uh, with just an image of um, a Bible story in Daniel chapter 3, an image of three young men who would not bow, bend a knee to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, well, only bend a knee to God, Jehovah. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, into the fiery furnace you go. And when Nebuchadnezzar looked in there, he didn't see three young men, but he saw four, and the fourth was like the Son of Man, which was a kind of a, a, a pre-incarnate existence of God, a physical appearance of God in the fiery furnace. So what that story tells us is this. God has not promised to keep you out of the fire. He has to promise to be with you in the fire. He has promised that when you are in the fire, and you will be in the fire, when you are in those testings and those difficult circumstances, God has promised you that he will be with you. So that's what we talked about last week. That was about the testings and the trials and the temptations that we go through. Now today, I want to look at a different word that James uses. He shifts gears in the next verses. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 16. And he, now he uses the word, instead of testings and trials, he uses the word temptation. Completely different animal, okay? So let's look at our text. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1, uh, verses 13 to 16. We're looking at just four verses today. And if you have your um, smartphones, your iPads, your Bibles, turn there. It's printed in your bulletin. It'll be up on the screen. We want the Word of God to be around you and surround you. And at this point in the sermon, I remind you to read your Bibles, right? Uh, you will find extraordinary truth there. You will find conviction. You will find joy. You will find purpose. You will find an Ebenezer, a, a, a trail carn uh, or marker to give you the direction that you're supposed to walk. Read your Bibles. Okay, uh, Genesis, excuse me, uh, we're looking at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. This is the word of God for the people of God at Hope Covenant Church. Here's what James writes. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires. The original word there, the original Greek word, is your own strong desires. Okay, so think of that. Which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. An interesting twist of words. It gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. From the beginning of time, man 
his first instinct, whether it's a man or a woman, is always to blame somebody else. <laughs> it's always to blame somebody else. You know the story of the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam, uh, God was created Adam, and then he created Eve, and he gave them this enormously beautiful Garden of Eden that had thousands and thousands of wonderful trees that would supply all of their needs, food and everything else. And God said, there's one tree I want you to stay away from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That'll bite you. Stay away from that one. But all these other thousands of trees you can partake of. So you know what they did. Um, Eve took a piece of fruit and she gave it to her husband and she said, hey, pal, go ahead and eat this. And he did. And then she ate some fruit and then God came to them and said, you idiots. Okay? Uh, he didn't use that word, but that's basically what he said. What were you thinking? I give you all of this stuff to enjoy, and I told you to stay away from one tree, and that's what you eat. And so here's what they say. Adam said, well, um, my wife, Eve, you know her God, right? You made her. You created her. You gave her to me. So my wife gave me the fruit, and I ate it. What Adam was saying, basically, he wasn't really blaming Eve. Who was he blaming? He's blaming God. The wife, who you gave me, gave me this piece of fruit. Probably wasn't an apple. It was probably a pomegranate, but don't worry about that. So Eve then partakes the fruit, and God says, well, how about you? Why did you eat of the fruit? She said, well, the serpent tempted me. You know, the serpent tempted me. Basically, the devil tempted me. They're always passing the buck. Adam, don't blame me. Blame Eve. Eve, don't blame me. Blame the serpent. Man has always been an expert in evasion. Robert Burns, the famous poet, wrote these words. This is really a prayer that he wrote. He wasn't known to be a man of God, but this is what he wrote. Thou knowest that thou hast formed me. He's talking to God. Thou knowest that thou hast formed me with passions wild and strong. And listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong. So who is Robert Burns blaming for his sin? He's blaming God. You made me with these, James said, strong desires. You made me with these strong passions. And therefore, when I act on them, they get me in trouble. But it's not really my fault. It's your fault, God, because you made me that way. We become very adept at blame. Blame shifting. Hiding from personal responsibility. God made me do it. My wife made me do it. I was too severely potty trained. Uh, I had a bad boss. Uh, there's always somebody else's fault for doing it. We're always telling somebody they made me do it. And then when we blame somebody, do you know what we do next? And we see this in the Garden of Eden. We hide from God. We hide from God. Not my fault. We hide from God. So there's a story of a telemarketer who's calling different homes, and she uh, calls this one particular home, and a little four-year-old boy by the name of Billy answers the phone. And uh, the telemarketer, uh, not wanting to uh, sell a four-year-old anything, uh, says, can I talk to your mommy? And the little boy says uh, in a very whispered, kind of silent, uh, low voice, he said, my mommy can't come to the phone. Okay, well, how about if I talk to your daddy? Well, my, my daddy can't come to the phone either. He's, he's very busy. Okay. Do you have an older brother or sister? Yeah, I have older brother and sister. Well, can one of them come to the phone? No, my older brother and sister are busy too. 
well, Billy, is there anybody else in your house that I might talk to? Billy said, well, there's, uh, he said, uh, yeah, there's policemen and there's firemen in my house. And now the telemarketer's worried, right? She doesn't quite know what to do. So she said, Billy, what are all those people doing in your house? And Billy said in a very quiet tone, he said, they're all looking for me. Okay. <laughs> now, it's cute when a child hides, you know. It's not as cute when you and I try and hide from God. We try to blame somebody, blame somebody else, and then we try and hide from God. Have you ever tried to hide from God? Pull the covers over your head and said, I don't want God to know that I did that or thought that or believed that or did, you know, we just don't want, we just pull the covers over our head. When we start blaming others, especially God, and we recognize that we're doing that, we hide from God. Now, the passage that we read this morning beautifully illustrates this cycle of blame and hiding. Now, I'm calling it, and this isn't an official title, it's just something I thought of, I'm calling this the, the sin cycle. And when you read the text, um, you heard the sin cycle as I read it. So let me describe to you what that sin cycle is. It looks like this. You start with temptation. Now, temptation is not a sin. It's a temptation, okay? It's a thing. It's out there. So there's a temptation, and the sin cycle says that when you take your own strong desire, your own strong desire, not God's desire in you, not the devil made you do it, when you take your own strong desire and you attach that strong desire to temptation, that from that union, something comes out of that. Something is given birth. And the thing that is given birth is sin. And when that sin comes to full fruition or grows up in you, that sin is not cast from you, it stays in you, and it grows up in you, that sin leads to death or gives birth to death is the way that James actually put it. That's the sin cycle. You start with temptation, nothing wrong with temptation, it's just there, right? And you put together with that, you attach it to your own strong desires, that union forms, forms a completely different, a completely brand new entity. And that entity is sin. And then when that sin grows up in you and doesn't change and isn't altered and it becomes part of you and literally takes you over, that sin then leads to death. That is the sin cycle. That's the deviousness of the enemy. Now here James takes off his kid gloves. Not that he ever wore them, but, you know, stay with me. He comes across as this kind of hard-nosed, blunt, with great candor, no-nonsense approach, kind of the approach of a, a drug rehab counselor, okay? Think of James in that context. He's kind of in your face. He calls your phoniness. He says, nope, you're not going to blame somebody else. Nope, I'm not going to hear those excuses. It's your own strong desires. He said, I don't want to hear any of those other things or anybody else's fault. I, and the reason that James is so hard, the reason he's so poignant, the reason he's so powerful in this moment is because when those things take place, Temptation is attached to your strong desires. Your strong desires grow inside of you. That grows into sin, and that sin ultimately grows. To, he said the reason this really matters is because unchecked, this thing leads to death. Unchecked, this thing, it seems so simple. It's just a temptation. It's just a little thing. It's no big deal. 
You know, but unchecked, if you go through that sin cycle, at least that's why James is so powerful on this point. Sin kills. And, <coughs> excuse me, sin kills everything it touches. So, the first part of the sin cycle, let's go through these briefly. First part is this temptation comes from our own desires. Now, this word desire, and there's a couple other words in the text that are connected to it, uh, is, uh, Andy will like this, it's a hunting term, and it's also a fishing term. I understand the fishing term, you'd have to talk to Andy about the hunting term. But the idea is that uh, this strong desire, okay, this enticement, when it's connected to a temptation, breeds sin. Okay, so this enticement uh, it means that you're, it's carried away, or it's compelled, or it's lured, or it's enticed. Now, I can understand that more in a fishing term. The fishing term, the, the Greek word means literally uniquely baited. This desire, this strong desire in me, in you, is uniquely baited. Now, what that means is that it's personally baited. The enemy uses things that are attractive to you, in your weakness, in your humanity, and he uses that, and that's what he tempts you with, okay? So it's uniquely baited. Let me give you an example. So um, many of you, perhaps most of you, could go to a casino and have a cheap meal. Even though I haven't been to a casino in 15 years, I hear they're still cheap, maybe not as cheap as they used to be. And you can take $20 and go to the casino and play blackjack or put it on the slot machine and after a few minutes, after you've lost the $20, some of you, that would be like 30 seconds, uh, uh, after you've lost your $20, you might say something like this, well, that was really stupid, right? I mean, normal people say that. That was really stupid. Why did I do that? We could have gone to a bad movie, you know, instead. You know, why, why did I, and, so, and so you have that. So it's not a big deal for you, but for me, I'm uniquely baited, and I could tell you why. I, I, you know, it takes a psycho, psychoanalyst. Uh, I mean, because of my math background, I'm uniquely baited that anything having to do with numbers and you can figure something out, I'm going to attach to that, okay? And so I attach, and my gambling addiction got out of control because that was that uniquely baited thing that kind of God, or not God, the enemy put in front of my nose and I kind of sniffed it and smelled it. I pushed it around a little bit. I bit on it and it became part of me. And that temptation joined together with that uniquely baited strong desire led to sin. See, follow what I'm saying here? Now, for you, it may be something different. It may be pornography. It may be alcohol. Some of you, I know some of you, friends, you can go and enjoy a beer. And some of you can't. You don't stop until you've had eight beers or nine. I mean, that's a problem for you. And you're uniquely baited with this kind of addictive personality like I am that you have to watch that. You, have to, you can't just go and have a beer, right? And so it's pornography. It's having an affair. It's sexuality. It's money. It's a, a desire to be known or to be important or uh, self-importance. Any one of these things can be that enticement, that strong desire, that lure that comes in front of your nose that maybe it won't bother anybody else but it's going to bother you. You are uniquely baited to that temptation and you have to be aware of that because that will lead to sin. Okay, you follow me? So that's where we're going. That's what James is saying here. Our own evil desires. It's not God's desire for us. The enemy can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. 
Satan cannot tempt you enough to make you do anything that you don't freely say, I'm signing up for this. I'm going to do this because I have come to believe in my soul that that thing will satisfy me. So there's different kinds of baits for different kinds of fish. So um, walleye in Minnesota love leeches. Uh, Trout uh, love minnows. Bass love worms. Catfish love boots, or they'll eat anything. It doesn't matter to them. (laughs) Just anything. But here's the deal. Um, um, All of those things are bait. They're not food. They look like food. They smell like food. They act like food. But they will destroy you because they're not food. Isaiah said, beware of things that you have come to believe will satisfy you that are not bread and drink. Beware. So when I was uh, learned to fish in Minnesota, Dave Nordine used to take me fishing, uh, and uh, we'd go fishing for walleye. I'd never fished for walleye before. And so um, I, I grew up fishing in the ocean, you know? And uh, so for me, when I got a bite, uh, the goal for me was to you know, pull as hard as I can to yank as hard as I can on the strike and get that hook set in that barracuda or that bass or that bonita or whatever fish I was fishing for. So that's what I grew up with, you know, setting that hook really sternly. So the first time I was fishing for walleye, uh, I got a nibble, I got a bite, and I boom like that. And David said, oh, you'll never catch a walleye like that. In fact, when I reeled it up, I had the lips of the fish on the hook, yeah. (laughs) So I, I kind of guess I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know. With walleye, they come along, they sniff it, they look at it, they push it with their nose, they'll even let it be in the side of their mouth and just go, go a little way, see if there's any resistance, right? In other words, these walleye are trying to determine whether or not this is bait or food. And most of them aren't smart enough to realize that it's bait. So Dave said, you let them run a little bit, they'll stop again. Maybe tug, tug, tug. When they run a second time, that's when you set the hook. That's when you set the hook, and that's when you know you've gotten the fish. That's exactly what happens to us. It smells like food. It looks like food. It's so beautiful and shiny. It's so wonderful to see that, that image of that naked woman. It's so wonderful to see that idea of a lot of money It's so amazing to think about how we can have, and it looks like food, and it smells like food, and it acts like food, but it's not. It's bait, and it leads to death. It leads to death. It leads to sin, and when sin becomes fully to fruition, it leads to death. Designer bait, uniquely baited. The second part of this sin cycle is the desire gives birth to sin. Let me use a pregnancy analogy. All our kids are over there, so it's okay. So you have, a, you have an egg and you have a seed that are two separate entities, okay? It's temptation and our own strong desire. They're separate entities, but when those things become attached, right, they become an entirely new, an entirely different entity. The Bible says that when that temptation is connected to or attached to our strong desire, that becomes a brand new entity, and that brand new entity is sin. 
It's sin. And it's what breaks us and breaks us down. So anything you have come to believe will satisfy you besides Jesus himself. Whether it's sex or money or power or a responsibility or a person or an individual or a job or anything that you have come to believe, that's, what, that's food for me. That's going to satisfy me. That's going to make me whole. Anything you have come to believe that, it's bait. It's bait. And God said, beware. Because when you attach to that temptation, nothing wrong with the temptation, that strong desire you have, and that becomes a completely different entity, and that leads to sin. Strong desire attaches to something, and sin is born. Work, sex, possessions, words of approval, uh, alcohol, gambling, food, gossip, any of those things, any of that that you believe somehow is food, it is only bait. Romans 6.16, Paul said these words, don't you know that to whom you yield yourselves, who you yield or give yourselves over to, servants to obey, what are you going to give yourself servant to obey? This servant, you are, his servant you are, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. So what you give yourself over to, what you attach yourself to, that's who you will serve. And that leads to sin. I have um, hmm, seen over my ministry hundreds of couples who have come into my office, um, this church and the other churches I've served, with the same sad story, that one or the other of the couple has had an affair. And... Um, there's a reason that the Bible talks so much about sex. Uh, it's because it's one of those things that was a beautiful gift from God that we have made into something it's not. That we have made that um, temptation and we've attached it to our own strong desire, our own sexual desire, and we've made it into something that it's not. We've made it into, uh, we think it's food, but it's really bait. And as people come into my office, I hear their stories of, whether it's the man or woman, doesn't matter. We were just talking about this yesterday at our huddle meeting about pastors in the valley of large churches that have fallen morally in this way. And it always starts the same way. It's a little temptation. Well, you have a little bit too much of a familiar relationship with a woman. And then maybe uh, there's a, a, a tender, just a hand on the shoulder. And then maybe there's an honest conversation. The woman says to her pastor, you know, um, my marriage isn't very good and, 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 and you're such a, a loving, caring man and you, you listen to my problems and I, I just wish I had somebody like you at home and then a lunch that the wife doesn't know about or the husband doesn't know about and then over time that thing becomes something else and that thing that becomes something else is called sin and that sin, if it's not changed, becomes death. Death to a relationship, death to, death to a family. Don't ever think that an affair is about two people. It usually affects about 100 people because it kills. Sin that is unchecked kills. If you attach strong desire to anything, anything you have come to believe will satisfy you. It gives birth to sin. Isaiah said again, that's not food. That's bait. Don't call something... It's not food, food, because only bread and drink come from me. The last part of the sin cycle is, is the most desperate, and it's this. When sin is full grown, like when it grows up and becomes mature, when sin is full grown, 
it gives birth to death. Now, we could spend a whole series of messages on this subject. We won't do it today because of time. But I just want to bring a couple of points to you before we close. I had a, uh, a pastor friend of mine who um, we went to seminary together. His daughter, beautiful girl, she was my daughter's best friend. And uh, uh, she got married to this great guy, his pastor's kid, smart, good education, good job, loved God, active in his church. But over time, something happened to Zach. His name was Zach, her name was Molly. Something happened to Zach, and what he did was there was a temptation at his work with this woman, and that temptation attached to the strong desire he had in him, something that he thought was food, but it was bait, and that led to something else, and eventually it destroyed their marriage. But it didn't just destroy their marriage, it just about destroyed two families and extended families. Here's what the text is saying. Each and every one of us, each and every one of us has enormous potential for sin and deception because we're human and because we're broken and because without God, we are hopeless. It looks good. It smells good. It tastes good. It looks like food. We're going to experience that it's food. We're going to act like it's food, but it's not. It's bait and that strong attachment attached to a temptation leads to sin, and that sin unchecked and growing to maturity leads to death. I mean, a woman, we've heard this how many times in our lifetime? Uh, we read in the newspaper, a woman goes into a doctor with a stomach ache, and she ends up having a baby. Now, you can say a lot of things about this, kind of humorous almost, and you've seen it so many times, you say, well, how could that ever happen? Well, let me tell you how it happens. The woman wasn't very self-aware, right? The woman wasn't very self-aware. She was nine months pregnant and she didn't realize it. She wasn't very self-aware. That's exactly what happens to people when they attach their strong desire to a temptation and they allow that to take root and to become a completely brand new entity, which is sin, and that sin unchecked leads to death. We've gotta be more self-aware about who we are, about what we are ingesting, what we are eating, what we are consuming. Is it food or is it bait? That's the sin cycle. Now we have to close with the good news. The gospel is the remedy for this sickness, for sin that leads to death. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the first four verses, there's this wonderful, it's almost an answer it's almost like Paul was answering James in James 1, 13 to 16 because he's talking about the same things. Listen to the answer. Listen to the gospel from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 4. Therefore, Paul writes, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, okay? He's not given us bait. He's giving us food. He's giving us this new way. We never give up. So don't give up. We reject all shameful deeds, that strong desire connected to the temptation. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. The enemy comes in very sneaky, looks like food, tastes like food, uh, appears to be food, but it's bait. Underhanded methods, we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. 
Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They have come to believe that something is food that's not. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Paul says, don't lose heart. God's mercy is available. Don't be deceived. You turn toward the light of Jesus, and then you tell the truth before God. God, I am so sorry. I have believed that this thing that is bait, this thing that is a strong desire of mine connected to a temptation, I have come to believe that it will satisfy my soul, and it does not forgive me. And let me speak the truth to you. So would you uh, join me as we close, if you would bow your heads. And just for this moment, I would invite you to a, a time of introspection, a time of, of, of looking at your own heart, of identifying things in your life that you have come to believe will satisfy you, but really all it is is a, a strong desire connected to a temptation that leads, when it becomes, when it gives birth, it gives birth to sin. And you need to just confess that before the Lord today. Be honest before the Lord, Paul said. Be honest before the Lord. Let's have a, just a moment of ministry of silence together as you speak to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. Therefore, if any man or woman is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old is dead and the new has come. Father, more than ever, we need to be honest before you. We need to confess our sins, that we have come to believe something will satisfy that will never satisfy us. And we need to embrace the beauty and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus was dead and buried. He, was, he rose again on the third day and he sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And Father, we need to embrace that truth that there is new life that comes out of death. Lord, for every person in this room, I pray a spirit of honesty and a spirit of faith that says yes, I want to partake of that which is food, the bread and the drink that comes from Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Lord, now as we uh, go into this time of, of baptism, my heart is just so filled with rejoicing that these individuals will come up here to be baptized and by doing so, they will say that my meat and my drink and my bread is Jesus and Jesus alone. May that be a testimony to all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.